bitch bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Erica. And I'm Amy. And uh, fam, it's been a week. <laughs> yeah. I've worked the past seven days in a row and uh, can't wait to go into Monday to work more. Cool. Yay. It is. I had a really interesting week, though. Like, I had Just a gala reception popping all over town. <laughs> I'm like, it was fun. And I'll talk about it more later in Rant and Receipts. But I came to a realization. And it's not like it's a realization. It's it, I'll talk about it later when I fold it into something else. But um, by the way, uh, I met some great people. I didn't realize I knew that many black people <laughs> like, and they knew me. Amazing. So it wasn't like, you know, <laughs> like a one way thing. Yeah, yeah. Like I was stalking them or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, f- I met people who I followed on Facebook and like did an internal fangirl on Facebook. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, it's you. And yeah. And they even knew me. Did I say Facebook? I meant Twitter. Okay. I was, like, I was, I was like, like, that's creepy. I was like, you follow people on <laughs> Facebook? Yeah. And sorry. I was like, pages. I was like, but how old is she? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have no time for Facebook. Also, follow us on Facebook. Sorry. <laughs> Twitter. Yeah. So I was like, I met like Anthony Morgan from Twitter. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know. And like the, the, the night before, I literally, he posted something about being at the National um, Black Canadian Summit, mm-hmm. which was last weekend. Mm-hmm. And lit- like I, I said, oh, I missed you. Um, would love to meet you soon. See you, see you sometime, whatever. And the next night I met him. Mm. So we were both like, hey. And that <laughs> like, worked out well. Yeah. yeah. I was super excited. So it's okay. uh, been a good black. I know the answer is it's not been a good black history month. Which I guess is the personally. Theme of the I think it's been great and for you. It's yeah, been yeah, fantastic. Legit, legit. Yeah. 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 A um, real roller coaster of emotions. Say. Hey? Although I was listening to a podcast and they were someone, one of the black hosts said, you know what? Black history month has been great so far because it's a bunch of fucking white people showing how much of an asshole and racist they are. That's been great for black people. That's true. In that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is a great segue. And how disconnected they are from the Mm -hmm. entire month. Like, like I find that interesting. Like the disconnect, like, so you're going to discriminate all in black history month. Wow. That's next level. I just want to give, the girl at my office who got platinum braids put into her hair as a white woman down to her ass. Please big shout out. No. <laughs> because happy black history. Month. Wow. She's Rachel Dolezalling. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Full on Rachel Dolezal. It's uh, real uncomfortable. Real. Awkward. So does she like, did she give you that, you know? Okay. So you know that look that white women give when, when they, they feel like they're down enough to like, they feel like they're down. Mm-mm. Cause no. I feel like were I in your office, she would give me that look. Like there's like this, this kind of like code switching 
that white women mm. who are down with like blackness mm-hmm. do when they see a black woman. Mm. I just wonder if they do that with other people of color. Um, no, I think she's like 22. So she was a very, very like, she like barely looked at me when I walked by her one day. I was just like, hmm. Does she so, do that usually? Is that just, I don't, I don't know if she's new or, Oh, the, like you didn't know her before. No, the, oh. but now you can't miss her. Wow. Girl. <laughs> like a beacon in the night. <laughs> anyway, what a great transition. And at least. I mean, she's not that that makes a difference, but she's, I'm just, that she, almost makes it worse. She's I, I just not, wonder if there's a contrast. Courtney Kardashian. Yeah, like, she's, uh, yeah. she's not like Emma Stone White. Oh, well, it's still white. She's not like, I don't know. Emma she's, Stone. <laughs> well, she's real white. She's not like Ginger White. No. <laughs> uh, I mean, in fairness, my mind went which to. White no, no. Is. <laughs> So my, people are gonna think they get a pass if they're tanned. No, they don't get a pass. I'm just, I this is just curiosity because yeah, I'm yeah, forming yeah. like an image in my head. Fair. Oh yeah, and I want to know what these blonde platinum braids are set against. Are they set against like ultimate whiteness, like ginger white, or are they set against like mm, a passer white? If you know what I mean. I think I know. I'm trying to think of a celebrity. Like like Courtney Kardashian, the Kardashians. any of the Kardashians, of the Kardashians. I, literally, I just like Courtney, yeah. so she's the first one that came to yeah. mind. Yeah. Um, I would say maybe like many of the Kardashians are quite tan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would go maybe a Kendall. Okay, so the lighter end, of the, the lighter spectrum. end so, of the Kardashian spectrum, but like won't like get a sunburn that easily. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. I gotcha. Okay, I yeah. gotcha. Could be like okay, I, I I shouldn't go further on this. <laughs> Probably be- not because let's I... rank the Kardashians based <laughs> on skin tone and likeliness to get sunburns. <laughs> Maybe a Courtney. Do we know? But do we know um, Kylie Jenner's real skin tone? Like I feel like the same as Kendall's. Is yeah. it very so? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're like, full siblings. Yeah, but like they're like okay, yeah, that's true. I mean, also look at pictures of her when she was thirteen. Yeah, we, we do know what they look like. They were super white. Okay. They're like Chris. Yeah. Yeah. True. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. We solved it. We solved racism. <laughs> the end. <laughs> I feel like we don't even need this episode. It's like. <laughs> uh, well, that's a little ambitious. So uh, we're kicking this week in feminism off with the clusterfuck that is Virginia politics. Um, So basically, politics in Virginia are just in the middle of a crisis that includes multiple instances of blackface and sexual assault. So for those who aren't aware, the situation involves the state's top three elected officials, the Democratic governor, Ralph Northam, who won election in 2017, the Democratic attorney general, Mark Herring, and the Democratic lieutenant governor, Justin Fairfax. So it all started when Northam's 1984 med school yearbook page emerged, which included a photo of a person in blackface alongside someone in an entire KKK costume. Initially, Northam apologized and said that the photo depicted him, but then less than 24 hours later quickly said that it wasn't him because he actually didn't remember the event um, because while he actually also wore blackface on another occasion in 1984... At a dance contest in Texas when he dressed up as Michael Jackson and actually won because he was the only person who could do the moonwalk. 
He said, quote, I used just a little bit of shoe polish to put it on my cheeks. And the reason I used a very little bit was because, and I don't know if anyone's ever tried it, but you can't get the shoe polish off. (laughs) He went on to say that he wasn't sure how the picture ended up on his yearbook page, but suggested that there may have been a mix-up, which is real weird since uh, Virginia's Senate Majority Leader, Tommy Normand, was actually also the managing editor of the yearbook that year. (laughs) Weird. Um, So since the situation came to light, calls have mounted for Northam to resign, including from basically all prominent Democrats, including both senators and uh, Barack Obama, uh, but since Northam has refused. Um, However, should the situation change... Justin Fairfax, the lieutenant governor, would become the governor. Yet uh, Fairfax is now facing two allegations of sexual assault, uh, one from Vanessa Tyson, a Stanford University fellow, stemming from the 2004 Democratic National Convention. State lawmakers have said that Fairfax is now facing an impeachment vote if he doesn't resign by Monday. So uh, by the time you hear this, Justin Fairfax may uh, no longer be the lieutenant governor of Virginia. So uh, TBD. Uh, But don't worry, right? In the event that the Democratic governor and the lieutenant governor resign, the attorney general, Mark Herring, would become the governor. Amazing. Yes. Fun. Awesome. Um, Except uh, he also admitted to wearing blackface in the 80s as he dressed up as a rapper at a party. And... We can only assume that he made this announcement to get ahead of the story um, because there's probably photos of that. Um, But uh, ironically, Herring had also been calling for Northam's resignation. So it's a pot calling the kettle black. Uh, (laughs) Face. Um, um, But in the event that all three of these politicians resign or are impeached, in the, in the situation of Justin Fairfax, the state would then be led by a Republican. So people seem to be split on whether or not Northam should resign. 40% of Americans say that he should, including 55% of Dems. And surprisingly, uh, only 35% of Republicans. Um, 58% of black people say that he should ra- resign. So uh, should he? I mean, it, I don't know. I don't know, actually. I'm not fully convinced on resignation as, like, the the lying to me is the reason for the resignation. Because that's just, like, such a bold phase kind of bullshit lie. And then the explanation for it, it's, like, a questionable judgment. For that reason, he should resign? Sure. I don't know that the black face on its face alone should be the reason he resigned. <laughs> is that a controversial opinion? Uh, I, I don't understand that opinion, I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I, especially in Virginia, of all places. Well, yeah, Virginia has a very racist history. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I think that you might be, like, more in the majority. I mean, statistically, yes. I mean, look, in an ideal world, I'd be like, yeah, you should also have never been in politics. Like, you're really gross. But, like, go down the list. All of these people are uttering complete trash. Yeah, and we can't actually trust the Republicans no. haven't done the same thing because yeah. almost certainly they have or they were actually and in the And that's why only 38% of Republicans would want him to resign. So in that, just, like, in that, like, sort of, like, political sense of, like, 
who do we really want leading the state of Virginia? I don't know that anyone would really be better off. But the Republican right away. himself is in, embroiled in a black, black face. No, I know. Too. So how far down the list are we going? I don't I give mean, a fuck. Yeah. I literally don't give a fuck how far they have to go. Like to be honest, like I just but think- but they won't re- resign. Like the Republican who would like let's say if we do go down this list become governor that person will not resign that's the problem and i'm not trying to make the like uh you know fuck what's his face democrat cory booker no the one who sexually assaulted oh, women fairfax no the other <laughs> <laughs> the al senator franken, i got the there senator. oh al franken yes. you know like the argument people make yeah. about al franken like al franken resigned and that's why democrats are better than republicans but re- democrats do themselves a disservice because they resign but republicans never resign like that I don't necessarily believe that view when it comes to Al Franken, but I'm just like, I, I can see, I'm not saying that I don't think he should resign. I'm just saying I can understand the tre- like the hesitation around it. Like I get why the numbers are what they are. That's all I meant by that. Because it's a very weird set of circumstances all around, like all around that. And I think it for, it would force people to call into question everything they understand about who's in politics, which they should. But like I do, you, do you know what I'm saying like yeah. I can kind of see why people would rather not think about it in that way. So okay, so because it like turns everything you think about who is in like leadership upside down. Okay, so first of all, um, I don't know which governor can lead people in blackface. I mean, granted, it was 1984. I really just don't give a fuck like when it was. Fair. The fact that it happened is enough for me yeah uh we still don't know whether or not he was the guy in black i was just gonna say or like, just or the kkk guy which is equally which, bad. frankly yeah there's but the I fact actually, that he hasn't even come clean yeah. and then but the question is like did it did he lie maybe he actually doesn't remember like it, he could be telling the truth yeah but his explanation is even worse his explanation of like oh i would have used more shoe polish but shoe polish doesn't come off instead of saying like I put a little bit because I knew some people would be offended. Would have been a, even like it's not a good explanation, but he was just like, "Oh, shoe polish is impossible to get can off." We, can we face. just quickly, as a sidebar, address the fact that at the press conference where he announced that he had won this Michael Jackson dance competition, someone asked him if he brag. could still do the moonwalk, and he was going to, but oh, his wife, my God, his wife is the it. fucking hero, and was like, "Do not do that. This is not the time." Yeah, he. I mean, his question, his judgment is super questionable. Like, that's what people should definitely be like. You have terrible judgment to, like, lead. I feel like this. I feel like part of the reason that it's, like, the polls are the way that they are is that people just don't get blackface. That's they don't get it. True, fair. They don't get the history. They don't get why it's racist. They mm-hmm. they just don't get it. And they don't Google, apparently, because they ask the rest of us to Google for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Vox did a, did a decent job. Wikipedia has a whole fucking entry on why blackface is racist. Literally, you don't have to go that far. So mm-hmm. actually, uh, a recent poll shows that only 58% of Americans think that blackface is wrong. Yeah. Because they, because they don't know any shit all about blackface. Mm-hmm. They don't ha- they have no idea about blackface. They have no idea about minstrel shows. They have no idea about about reconstruction um reconstruction era post like slavery 
before Jim Crow Mm -hmm. and that history. They don't know their own fucking history. Mm -hmm, People mm -hmm, who talk mm -hmm. about the Constitution all the time don't know their fucking history. And fuck the Brits, too, because the Brits will sit there and say, oh, well, you know, blackface isn't as I've heard this argument so many times from the British. Blackface wasn't bad in Britain because we didn't view it that way. It was always fucking bad. Yeah, it was, it was always motherfucking bad. And I, my question is, if we're taking a zero tolerance policy on sexual assault victims, mm-hmm. why is it that we're OK with racism? Mm-hmm. We can't even say it's racism. And on top of that, like like blackface is something that is resurging and there is always this pressure on black people to forgive and not on white people to do better Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that is my fucking rant okay (laughs) carry on i'm sure i'll have more for later i don't want to like i (laughs) don't don't use it all up don't use it all up yeah so in order amongst these like calls to resign um and his refusal to in order to make amends um, in an interview that came out on Sunday Northam has said that he is committed to focusing the rest of his term on racial equity including expanding access to health care housing and transportation yet in the same breath I mean, I'll be at a different interview. I fucking hate this man right now. Like, <laughs> I did not have hate for this man until this episode started. Mm-hmm. Northam <laughs> said, quote, in an interview with Gail King, said, quote, we are now at the 400-year anniversary. Just 90 miles away from here in 1619, the first indentured servants from Africa landed on our shores in Old Point Comfort, what we now called Fort Monroe, Fort Monroe and while, and Gail interviewed him, interrupted him and said, uh, that's also known as slavery. Yeah, really. He couldn't even call slavery, slavery. Okay, so... <sighs> Okay, so this is what seems to have happened. Norfolk is just yet another white guy who does not want to admit their part in the systemic racism against black people, the systemic anti-black racism. Now, people, like, white people have all sorts of excuses for covering up the fact that they have benefited Um, disproportionately from slavery, from Jim Crow laws, from every sort of structural racism that has happened. And so in doing that, what they do is they rewrite history. They put the focus on black people to forgive. Mm -hmm. And how dare you not forgive? Mm -hmm. Um, They... They try to squeeze out of it in any way they can. And it's just another example of how black people historically and currently have to manage our behavior around white people's reactions. And that in itself is power. Mm -hmm. That is what privilege is. So, like... Fuck all of them is what uh, what I'm saying. And I'm I'm waiting for Fairfax. We'll get to Fairfax, I'm sure. Go mm-hmm. No, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, you're totally right. I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's uh, taking it's like taking back all my sympathies for people who said they he, they, he should resign or shouldn't resign mm. because that does seem like a really foolish in the in the way that you've you framed it for sure. Um And it's and it's wild like it that we've not really had like a real conversation about uh like blackface and it keeps coming up 
Um, and just like even his starting position, other than being like, you know, dubious, like historically dubious about the denial. But it's also like his instinct was never to talk about those things at the outside or to talk about like, yeah, I was wrong at in the past. And this is what I've done as a Democrat, like to deal with like, you know, race inequality or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like he took him like days to get coached up into this statement, which was like really botched, frankly, like doesn't even have an appreciation for like the history, let alone like the issues and then pretend that he's standing behind these like things to help with racial inequality that frankly should have been part of his plat, like, well, not his platform, well, but the work he was doing his agenda as a governor. The, mm-hmm. I mean, some of it was like the, he did expand Medicaid, like was one of the first yeah. things he did as governor because it had been sitting on the previous governor's desk for like, sure, many months. Sure. Sure. But then like, but you know, it's one thing to do it because like that's a position that your party supports and there are people around you who support it. And and it's another thing to do it because of like you have a good equity lens you're bringing to this because like that clearly never even crossed his mind until he had to talk to Gail King. And then he was like, oh, wait, well, what are the sti- here are the things that I care about? What are the statistics? Sorry. What are the statistics for black people on Medicaid is are like in the state yeah, of Virginia. So he could yeah. like one could say it's it's the Bernie Sanders approach to racial equality. Yeah. If you're saying that Medicaid like will will reduce racial inequality, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like yes, they're bigger economic issues and and yes, that helps. But I mean I I, I this is Virginia. Virginia's changing. It's getting more and more diverse. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, are you saying that you as a governor are not able to handle that? Mm -hmm. Because I will sit here and say, and you've heard it from me on the year of our Lord 2019 on February. What the fuck is 10th? Right. I feel like if you're in charge of people, if you're managing people, if you are in charge of somehow and you don't know how to deal with people of different ethnicities, different religions, if you don't have that kind of background, you are not qualified for your job. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because this we are in the stage now where we're getting more diverse as a population. If we still have management and leadership that can't handle that, you're just not qualified. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, 37% of the population um, is black and on Medicaid. Okay. 37% of the black population or 30% of Medicaid? Medicaid enrollment by race and ethnicity. Wow, that was really hard for me to say. (laughs) Uh, 37%. Okay. So 37% Okay, of Medicare enrollment. Medicaid. Medicaid. Oh, right, because Medicare is for old people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, Medicaid. Yes. 37%. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, so then we've got the situation with Justin Fairfax, who has seemingly very credible allegations of sexual assault. Um, and so what did the allegations mean for the Democrats' zero, tol- zero tolerance policy on sexual misconduct? Because, you know, Al Franken, um, you know, I listened to a podcast with Kirsten Gillibrand and presidential candidate Kirsten Gillibrand Mm -hmm. and she said you know this is the Al Franken Kirsten Mm -hmm. 
Gillibrand? Yeah, okay. she said, you know, it, it was a really difficult situation for her because he was a good friend and da-da-da-da-da, whatever. You know, one allegation, she was like, okay, like, we can investigate this. We can look into this. But then she said it was ultimately, like, eight. And she said, after eight, she's like, there's a pattern. And I was just like, no. Like, that's the line. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. clearly not an isolated incident. It's clearly a pattern of behavior, a pattern of power and whatever and that was her line was like okay this is an ongoing behavior so what about justin fairfax i think i i don't have i having you know been working a lot i don't know if any of the democrats are calling for his resignation or what what no they won't and i'll tell you why because he's black Mm -hmm. and they don't know how to deal with that intersection yeah so in the event that northam does resign fairfax would become the only black governor in the United States. This is why I don't like zero tolerance policies. Because it doesn't give you room for um, adjudication on an individual basis. Not every case is the same. However, I feel like that's not the case here. I, th- I agree. I feel like j- second woman. Yeah. Okay. He's guilty as fuck. Yeah, and the the situation with uh, Vanessa Tyson, she wrote a very very detailed account, and mm-hmm. it yeah. seems very clear. Oh yeah, and like I believe her, absolutely. You know, um, I also think it's very interesting that these victims were black women. I believe the victims are also black. Not to say that that is you know whatever determinative, but, but uh, it's a definitely right. like yeah. Yeah, you're like, also not treating them equal to exactly, white survivors of exactly. sexual violence in your party. Yeah. Exactly, and mm-hmm. so why don't they deserve justice? Mm-hmm. That's my question. Totally. And we've already been through the R. Kelly thing. Well, we're going through the R. Kelly thing, where a lot of people were saying that the reason R. Kelly was allowed to go to do this over and over again is because the victims were black. Mm-hmm. So are you saying so Democratic Party question? Are you saying the black victims don't matter? That's my question. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily true because, you know, BuzzFeed did have that investigation about the what was his name? The black House member, House of Representatives member who had harassed many staffers who were black women mm-hmm. and ultimately they forced him to resign. This situation has like an extra lens on it just because of the Ralph Northam thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, well, that yeah, that's it. I think it has. I mean, partly it's about black victims. I'm not not to dismiss that, but I think it's also about the the first thing you said, which is yeah, the Democrats want to be seen as having le- like a black leader of a state when they're you know and and. Uh, be like maintaining their power and this is a nice way to couch it and they get to save face and they get to cover up that the democratic party as an institution is not racist um only northam is racist and then therefore distant dis- distancing themselves mm-hmm. in general mm-hmm. from you know what allowed him to operate and reach that strata and like say these asinine things about like you know how much he would have liked to cover himself in truth polish, but for the impacts on his skincare regime, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be terrible for your pores. And, I, oh, it has to be, and, yeah. and the fact, I will say this, the fact that Northam is a doctor concerns the fuck out oh, of me. Oh, no. 
Okay. I did not get this deep into this story this week. So this is just layers on layers. Yeah. Yeah. The man is a doctor and he was doing blackface in medical school. I want to know how he treated his black patients. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to know, because we always see the that there's a structural differential in the way black patients are treated and the way white patients are treated, regardless of how famous you are, regardless of how famous. So I would you know what I would see? This is why I don't run. Is because they would they would turf a bitch like me. I'd be like, let's look at that fucker's medical record. <laughs> like I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be looking for victims because it's it's a huge like this is so multi layered that that is part of it too, because we all can't be Serena Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Justin Fairfax is calling for an FBI investigation into the allegations. Oh, like what's his nuts? Fucker on the Supreme Court, Kavanaugh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So good. And he's also playing the sexual predator playbook, I must say. Mm. The it's a smear campaign. Mm-hmm. The the I'd like the FBI to investigate. Mm-hmm. The you know, I'm like, where have I heard this before? Every other accused. I'm just not here for it. Yeah. Meanwhile, so what so what do the Democrats do? (laughs) Well, what's your opinion? What should they do? I think an investigation on Justin Fairfax needs to happen. But at the same time, it looks like he might be impeached. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. In which case, it's kind of a moot point. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the only use an investigation has if he isn't impeached is to, quote unquote, clear his name to save his future in politics. Although I don't know if that's even possible. Um, I guess I make comebacks all the time. I guess my question is, is this like, you know, it's such a shitty situation for Virginians to be in because like in the event that like everyone resigns and is impeached and or impeached, like they end up with a Republican government Mm -hmm. who they didn't vote for. Mm hmm fair for three mm-hmm. years and i don't think gr- the dems are gonna let that happen no and i don't think people want it and yeah. that will make that's their political out is the polling yeah so i don't think that they're going to uh let it get that far yeah and uh, but it does have implications in terms of the democrats have these women as like women as a backbone to their reelection strategy right and they can turn to Trump and say, see, look at that fucker. They could turn to the Republicans and say, see, they're not here for you. So I just wonder how they're yeah, going to position Yeah, but Virginia themselves. doesn't matter that much. So, you know, you lose a little bit of face and, you sep- and they distance themselves from the state, you know, function of the Democratic Party and try not to wear it on a national level. And mm-hmm. then, you know, Virginia is not consequential. I don't think not in my limited not understanding. Really. It doesn't influence the primaries and it does, it's not one of the first primary states and it definitely doesn't have a lot of seats. So it's Virginia. Yeah. Um, and Virginia is always like, well, I guess Virginia does swing because it's like because of where it is. But I mean, it didn't know, always you, swing, though. It uh, was, yeah, it was. Yeah, there sure there was a period where it yeah, wasn't. Yeah. But you could see Trump doing well in Virginia. But I think through the Dems, you just kind of like live with that. You eat it and then hope to save face nationally in other places where this story is played worse than it's played in Virginia. 
Well, because there's a difference of uh, how it's playing in different parts of the country, right? And different parts of Virginia, right? Sure, so, sure, no doubt, no doubt. So no doubt. you have like Fairfax, yeah. Virginia, which is yeah. very much a lot of you know Northerners have moved in. Yeah, uh, high DC commuters, the DC yeah. commuters, etc. And then kind of the w- rest of Virginia. Don't even talk about West Virginia. That's just. Ugh. I mean, it's a separate state. <laughs> it's so. Ba- yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, but once you get to that side of the. Border, yeah. What? Like, yeah, I'm just not, saying not, once you get to that seen, side, yeah. it's like uh, it's like coal miners and Trumpers, you know, and black facers, apparently. And so, like, I just I just wonder how the political calculation is being done, I guess mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Because that yeah. would be interesting. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, we have presidential candidate Cory Booker, um, you know, continuing to tout his message of love and acceptance and faith. He needs to stop with that motherfucking bullshit. And uh, he is basically won't say whether or not blackface is really bad. I mean, he also won't call Trump an outright racist because he doesn't know what's in the heart of someone. Uh, I don't, yeah, that that really upset me. I find him upsetting. Yeah, I I'm really really finding him upsetting. He is like try. I guess he's trying to do Obama messaging without ever having the like, which is not like just the the stuff that people think about, like the hope poster, where like mm-hmm. none of the substance behind it. And like, you know, say what you will about the Obama presidency, mm-hmm. but Obama as a candidate had like a lot of substantial things and some stuff that was watered down and mm. we didn't all love it. But yeah. like, yeah, yeah, but yeah. there was a lot more there. And he was like very raw about like naming things and yeah. talking about experiences yeah. and yeah. whatever else. And it's like Cory Booker has like the same stories he repeats that he's like well, repeating that's... ad nauseum. <laughs> and he's like very like you know, ensconced in the Democratic Party proper, which like you never felt like Obama necessarily was in the same way because he was coming from the outside, from the outside a little bit. But like, it's like, I don't know, I guess he has advisors because a lot of people in the institution love Cory Booker. So I don't know who's advising him, but probably a lot of ex-Obama people. He has an ex-Obama. Yeah. And so they've they've picked all of the language from the like they've, you know, the love, hope. Yeah, but he's kind of been very lovey, hopey, faithy based for a while. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying like there's a tactical. Yeah, it's been like notched up. They're like, what worked the last time? Which, But why is it that politicians don't understand that times change? Yeah. That the context within which you are delivering this message changes. And we're in post-2016 time. Yeah. But there are a lot of people who... In Democratic Party, in the big L liberal culture here, who think that the anger on the left, the like Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, like light a fire under people's asses, have an angry speech is like turning people off. This is what they think. And that the only like way to win is to do something in the middle that is like gentle and appeasing and people like want to be inspired. And it's also the Trudeau like mantra, which I don't think will play well this election. No, it won't. And they're because going to. We're so in I'm different sure times. We're in different times. But I think people are going to try it. But there's still people who think that that is the that's what people are craving. And that's where you get new voters in the middle. I, I think it's bullshit, but yeah. like that's how they that's how they justify it in 2019. I think that was fine in 2015. I think it was for fine Trudeau, enough yeah. for yeah, Trudeau because yeah, yeah, he was coming off the Harper era. But yeah, you exactly. can't do that on a second term. No, no. you can't. Yeah. 
No, you can't. You got to give. And this is why Stacey Abrams is really, really interesting to me. I feel like Stacey Abrams, who gave, who usually, usually when you're asked to give the rebuttal to the State of the Union, Ugh. it is people waiting for you to fail. It is not good. It you get 10 not, minutes and that's it. You, it is not good. Yeah, it's a losing proposition. It, yes. Yeah. But Stacey Abrams. It's like hosting the Oscars. Why do right, people say yes? Right. <laughs> You're not going to be funny. They're not going to allow you to do anything. So just relax, okay? I mean, if you're a late night talk show host, like, just do it, I guess. It's another night of the week for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Paycheck's a paycheck. Yeah, exactly. But, like, what I thought was was really... But Stacey Abrams did not let that get her down. Oh, no, no, no. She did not deliver this thing in front of some houseplant, okay? She decided that apparently this was her presidential run speech or something. It would, but she gave everybody a vision. Sure. And I feel like she's the only one who's giving people a vision of an America. We're not getting that. We're not getting a vision. Well, and that's what Obama did so well is that he was like, we could be like this. Mm-hmm. And. That's where I don't think anyone's gotten the platform she's had to give that speech yet. Sure. So we haven't heard from any of the other. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like a national speech. Yeah. Like a platform to like give that other. I mean, you know, like what what do we have? Like Elizabeth Warren drinking beer in her kitchen. Like I honestly I'm not really paying attention. I don't really know. Like that's I feel like all I hear from about coverage of candidates is like that kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And then like Bernie being sour that Stacey Abrams delivered like this is like all that like this is all that's happened so far to be fair but she's got a huge leg up like this is a huge like jump out of the gate for her I love that she that she had this platform and she owned it and people will have to like measure up to that yeah so two things one I think I think Cory Booker's message of love and faith isn't bad I think that I think that's just who he is. I but I think that when faith in what when but you're never mind. I, but I think that like <laughs> when you're asked like, do you think Trump's a racist? As a black man, you need to say yes. I as think a that person when person with sure. a brain, you need sure. to say yes. Sure. Especially when Ocasio Cortez just did it for you, absolutely like, weeks before because you were and automatically she took, all, she took all the heat. Okay, yeah. people so are you re- can, you people are ready it. to hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. that like. Yeah. And when you when she you're walks asked, so you could say racist. And <laughs> when you're asked about blackface, you need to say yes. Like you can talk about, you know, I pr- I want to promote a message of love and like bring people together, but I also need to call a spade a spade. Yeah. Like I think he's just not doing uh, that. Wild. He's kind of he's very weak. Yeah. Um, he's second, just damn disappointing, or maybe not. not I don't know. I, not not surprised. really. Okay. Uh, second, Chuck Schumer picked uh, Stacey Abrams oh. to give that <laughs> speech mm-hmm. because he wants to encourage her to run for president. Mm-hmm. Well, at least Chuck Schumer did something smart. I I have no love for Chuck Schumer. No, me neither. He's definitely playing catch up. Yeah. 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 But good on him. I know. I know that she was tapped to run for Senate. I'm. uh, But. And I'm. Well, I, I, I heard it was just to run. So I don't know, like, what that what that means. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, she just I feel like this was her week. Stacey Mm -hmm. Abrams. This was it. Yeah, I've never seen a State of the Union rebuttal done so well. I mean, they could have moved the crowd a little closer to her. They look like a green it, screen. It but did look green screeny. It did. I would, ag- I would agree. But I will say this. Speaking of design and detail, have you seen Cory Booker's font? Oh, it is awful. It's 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 like 
I don't I don't mm. know. It's mm. I don't like like really heavy fonts for people running for government because it makes it seem oppressive. So like but it's just I don't even I can't even recognize it. It has a little bit of a curve. It's just silly. Anyway, so I feel like I feel, <laughs> I feel like Cory Booker may run. That's fine, but I don't think he's going to make it out of any place yeah. substantial. Agree. Yeah. All right. So pro-Trump advocate Candace Owens made some disturbing comments about Adolf Hitler last week at the London launch of the conservative organization Turning Point. Owens's comments about Adolf Hitler in Germany came after she was asked about nationalism in Western politics. She said, quote, I actually don't have any problems at all with the word nationalism. I think that the definition gets poisoned by elitists that actually want globalism. Globalism is what I don't want. Whenever we say nationalism, the first thing people think about, at least in America, is Hitler. He was a national socialist. But if Hitler just wanted to make Germany great and have things run well, well, okay, fine. The problem is that he wanted is that he wanted. He had dreams outside of Germany. He wanted to globalize. He wanted everybody to be German. Everybody to be speaking German. Everybody to look a diff to look a different way. To me, that's not nationalism. And thinking about how we can, could go bad down the line, I don't really have an issue with nationalism. I really don't. Okay, what the fuck? So, um, is this bitch just ignorant, or is this part of like her larger communication strategy slash brand, Erica? I feel like, okay, so I'm looking... Also, who the fuck is Candace Owen? <laughs> she was the one who her and Kanye, Kanye started getting into it on Twitter and being like BFFs about Trump. And then now she's got some like Fox show. Sure. Sure. But like, who is she? I'm not really sure. That doesn't really answer the question. <laughs> she's These basically people, like, Tommy Lahren out of nowhere. In blackface. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People are going to say we're misogynist for all this uh, shit talking. People say a lot of things. Yeah. People say a lot of things. It doesn't mean it's relevant. Anyway, (laughs) I think Candace Owen. Okay. So I think there is an incredible opportunity for a business venture here. Okay. Uh And the opportunity is black people spouting conservative bullshit. And black people spouting conservative bullshit, I think, pays a shitload. I think Clearly. it pays. I think it. if you have no integrity and no values whatsoever, I think you can make a shitload of money. Because there's nothing that gives conservatives a hard-on more than a black woman spouting their bullshit. They love it. They can't get enough of it. They'll be like, yeah. And I feel like there's, I feel like she's, she must be getting paid. That's what I'm saying. Oh, she's for sure getting paid, but that's just shocking. All the same to me. (laughs) Like, I mean, she's doing, she's doing it for a reason. She's doing it to profit. And to some extent, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not the same quandary as like, why would Kanye do talk shit like that? Yeah. I think that, you know, it's definitely part of her building a brand, but I also like, this is, maybe one of the most ignorant things I've ever heard come out of someone's mouth mm-hmm. because like he, he Hitler didn't want to globalize. He didn't want to make everyone German. He wanted to kill everyone who wasn't German. 
Well, I think she's saying like about conquering other countries or about like invading rather. And sure, but then he would just like take over and make everyone like he would. He, get, yeah, which kill is them just, all. yeah, sure. Well, not necessarily make them slaves or whatever. They would be a lesser people. Nationalism all of a sudden just means you 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 think of your nation first. That's mm-hmm. not what mm-hmm. nationalism mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's not. Right. It's it's it is a form of fascism. Mm-hmm. Okay, like I, I and this 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 rewriting of history. She's like what we what we hate is globalism, i.e. Jews. Um, and uh, if if Hitler wasn't like going out of and now she's redefining globalism. Right? Well, that that's exactly it. Yeah. 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 So they I like they it, yeah, it's like ahead. taking global like she's recasting globalization as like imperialism right which like frankly it's cool to re- learn that republicans are no longer for imperialism that's a nice uh move i guess for them weird um and like distancing the narrative of of hitler to away from so that they can reclaim nationalism right into being state first and also like the idea of nationalism when you're talking about western states is a little bit antiquated because like nationalism does involve a race based or some sort of unifying identity which is yes. why we say white nationalism but but it kind of predates that in, in i mean in canada we've got multiple nations mm-hmm. and so i best mm-hmm. not be hearing anybody in canada talk about nationalism because I think that's like a real that's like a very flawed concept because we have multiple nations sharing a, a like a state or like there's rather not sharing a state but sharing borders. Right. And there's Quebec nationalism and then there's First Nations and there's a whole host of other self-governing structures. Mm. And when you talk about nationalism, it's a lot more complex than to be like state first. And if you want to be state first, that's a conversation we can have that's probably a lot more inclusive than nationalism, which is rooted in a different like identity. But, but like, you know, this like I'm you know, this is far from what these people are talking about. They they were the reacting to people, de- quote unquote, demonizing white nationalism, which is what we finally found a way to call them out for really what they're doing mm-hmm. under the guise of being for a state first approach. And if you're for nationalism, what does that mean for people who aren't from here? Yeah. And when we say from here, what does not being from here mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So does it mean is it a status? for example, is is it based on an immigration status? Where is the dividing line? Yeah, I know for sure. And so um, that's why I don't trust these white people yeah. when they talk about nationalism. And I sure as hell don't trust Candace Owens because she's just, well, she's just getting paid. I, I'm convinced that that's what it is. She's getting paid. Oh, for sure. And the, here, like, it also it also leads you into an, an immigration debate. Well, that that's exactly like what it's yeah. about for yeah. sure. It's like you know by saying that Hitler, whatever. I don't know why we're talking about fucking Hitler. <laughs> what year is it? Like, well, I, I mean, you know, like there are there's a white like there's a racial supremacist analogy to be made, but it's just not fucking this. But like to say that you know. <laughs> 
by trying to be like by having imperialist tend or like globalized, which is like a recasting mm. tendencies to like strip away, like to make sure, like to strip away people's neighbor, like identities and, you know, make people in his image was actually a globalist effort. But if he had just wanted the trains to run on time, that would have been nationalism is like completely, I mean, absolutely complete yeah. revisionism from what actually happened in Germany when he for, when he took power and like that project was still a nationalist project independent of the imperialist shit that also happened so like that's fucking weird and then the whole this like the discussion is for sure reacting to what's happening in the states now with like who who do we like who do we let in who is like meant to be here when do you guard your borders and when are you putting the interests of your country First, but, you know, people are using country and white identity interchangeably and choosing to pretend that that's not what's happening. Yeah. And like by, you know, recasting, you know, history in this way, you're just obscuring that fact. I mean, it's unfortunate because now we have to like just also like repositioning the discussion around globalization as like global, like fuck globalization. There. Thank you. Like globalization is like a white liberal like project, which like like is cast in a certain light. That's like like by white liberal. I mean, like powerful, rich people extracting resources and like like and servitude from folks you know racialized folks the world over it's a fancy word for colonialism yeah it's a fancy modernized view of colonialism that is driven by profit and you know and like wealthy elite mostly rich white people from the west but sometimes other white rich people who Mm -hmm. aren't white Mm -hmm. benefiting from from a certain view of trade that is honestly like not open and is still run by like some weird you know like by the by monopolies Mm -hmm. and cartels of like a different yeah all you got to do is look at agriculture yep You know, I, I, you know, I also think that this unfortunately provides an opening for your, your war, like those war hawks Mm -hmm. who want that imperialist America Mm -hmm. to come in and say, well, we're not like Trump, Mm -hmm. so we're okay when they're the fucking reason we have Trump. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing this a lot and like bill crystal being recast as some centrist and oh like, sure and david from and all yeah. those guys it's wild it is and they get to pretend like they are they get to they get to say that they're more global like lo, like they are for a form of globalization which is also mass imperialism yeah they're supporting coups and dictatorships the world over and pretending that it is for democratic ends but they're not nationalists so necessarily they are better yeah. than the you yeah. know the, the the crazy kooky right that's like actually propped up now like that's popped up and and taking a hold of their beloved party which yeah. has been demonized wrong like wrongfully demonized, yeah that's exactly yeah. the narrative that's happening so erica you know, something that Trump tweets about a lot and actually references in many of his speeches at rallies and events is that, you know, he's doing so well with African-Americans and that black people just love him. But uh, can black people really be conservatives or Republicans in the current view of how conservative conservatism is practiced? I don't think I, I question black conservatives at this point. Like at this point, I'm not saying that that conservative that blacks can't be conservatives if conservatism wasn't so racist right like, if it was just like, like fiscal fiscally you can be maybe or yeah like i i i'm not fiscal conservatism usually plays out in ways where fiscal conservatism doesn't actually mean 
um, spending less money. It just depends on what you spend the money on. Mm -hmm. That's usually how it comes down to. But I mean, like, I'm not totally close to like conservative arguments. What I'm saying is that with this nationalist, white nationalist conservative party, I'm like, either you're getting a check or I got I got questions. I, I just have questions. And I'm not saying that black people need to be Democrats. I don't want I the Democrats have taken black people for granted mm-hmm. for a long, long, mm-hmm. long time. The funny thing is, I feel like um, there is sort of like this resurgence of this this black intelligentsia almost that's happening where black people over time over the last few years have definitely proved that we can save your ass black women have proved that we can save your ass Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. you know so you better appeal to us or we'll sit at home i think that's starting to Mm -hmm. sort of filter into the democratic Mm -hmm. party um and i think that I, I think that that's great. The problem is, is that the Republican Party is just too damn racist. I'm not saying that the Democratic Party isn't racist, but there's like the policies that come out of the Republican Party are just they are just designed to keep people of color in their place. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you can look yourself in the mirror as a black person and just be like, I'm OK with that. Well, there are a lot of ignorant people in the world, and some of them are going to be black. Yeah, yeah. Like but let, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> on the I other hand, say. let's not treat black people like they don't know what a vote is, because mm. I see that a lot too. Is like, well, I don't understand why they they are even Republicans, because they can choose to be Republicans yeah, yeah, if they want to be. Yeah. But why are you talking about them as like it, as yeah. though they don't have their own agency. No agency? Yeah, absolutely. That's my other part point. I'm just ripped up. It's this one. Ooh, ooh, ooh. All right. So Erica, I know you've got a lot of feelings on this one too. Oh, so last week, actor Liam Neeson recounted a time in an interview after a friend of his was raped by a black attacker uh, that he walked the streets hoping to kill some quote-unquote black bastard as an act of revenge. He said, quote, I went up and down areas with a bar hoping I'd be approached by someone. I'm ashamed to say that. And I, and I did it for maybe a week, hoping some black bastard would come out of a pub and then have a go at me about something, you know, so that I could kill him. Liam Neeson went on to add that he did learn a lesson from the rea- his reaction to the rape. He noticed that he had, he noted that he had grown up during the Troubles, a period of huge unrest in his native Northern Ireland, and well, and that while he understood the primal drive for revenge, it ultimately leads to more bloodshed. <laughs> Thanks, Liam, for that. Cool. Yay. Cool. You know he wants to say nigger, right? You know he was saying nigger in his head. It wasn't black bastard. <laughs> it was like a hard R. I'm just saying, because that's what I heard. <laughs> um, Where yeah. should we start? Uh, so we're increasingly seeing people in the pub- public sphere, as already discussed, with uh, Virginia politics, uh, particularly, you know, boomers and Gen Xers uh, that face issues of racism. 
So this week, the National Post newspaper in Canada suggested that we should stop punishing those who have done racist things in the past. Uh, any any thoughts? Well, he didn't do it in the past. He did it when he chose to tell that story. So also a thing that happened. Because the moral of the story that he tells is not, um, you know, I thought this thing and then I realized that I was wrong to have thought it. He was like, I, I thought this racist thing. And also that's why revenge is bad. It was like completely not about race. His like reflection on his the fa- like the fallacy of his thinking wasn't that I was mistaken because it w- I, my instinct was to go to a racial bias, which is what the fucking Guardian or whatever independent I can't remember who published this shit article. Independent, yeah. But they they spent a lot of time like in the later half of the article poorly explaining racial bias. It's a very not well done article, um, and. You know, but that's not what he brought to the conversation. He specifically s- talked about revenge and then talked about like, I don't know, the, the, the troubles in Ireland without really linking the two analogies. And then and then went back to promoting his film to say revenge is bad. Meanwhile, so, all of his films are about revenge. revenge. They're all about revenge. <laughs> the, recently fell asleep watching that train one. And there was not taken. No, it's another one where Listen, he's on I, a train. I said on the radio the radio the other day that I don't know that I've seen a Liam Neeson movie in You've recent history. You've seen Love his- Actually. I mean, in recent history. Oh, I see what you mean. Like a new movie. I'm, 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 I'm not a fan. I don't really get the hype. Uh, this is going to undercut everything I say because people are going to be like, oh, you hate Liam Neeson. I just don't give a fuck about Liam Neeson. And I don't think, I don't know how they thought this story would be like remotely endearing or insightful. And he didn't really. He didn't like really make a genuine effort. And it's not, it was never from his perspective about race. So he, in fact, by repeating the story and talking about it so glibly and like never really breaking it down, I honestly think he still has racist tendencies. It's not a thing he did in the past. He said it. I, the reason I learned about this story was a friend messaged me, a white dude, and was like, oh, cancel culture, high alert. I mean, he didn't say it like that, but that was like effectively the gist of his message to me. I'm like, oh, it's going to be too bad when Liam Neeson is canceled. I was like, I don't know the fuck could just happen. I like went and looked online and he it sounded like he was over like that. The story was being overstated or whatever. And then I looked at it. I was like, no, dude, like for uh, first of all, like, why is that your first thought to worry about cancel culture? Like your first thought should be like this. He's is not that- alone in that thinking. No, I know. And then I realized like that was the- most of the tweets were like, oh, cancel culture is coming for Liam Neeson. It's like the story broke an hour ago. So take a fucking breath and then second of all like you read it from your white like pretty sitting pretty perspective and like i feel like for a lot of people read that are like cool that's really triggering that's a thing that happens to me i walk around outside looking over my shoulder thinking some white bastard's gonna beat me up because i walked out of the like on the street at night look like and like you know they took it the wrong way or like some shit or someone's going to call the cops on me. I'm going to get my ass. So your friend's no feelings reason. are more important than the actual substance. Heaven forbid people tell me that it, no, I no. can't watch a Liam Neeson movie not, anymore. No, no, I'm, I'm not saying, saying those are his feelings. I'm saying he should have thought about black people reading the article thinking about the their issue. experience of violence. But that's the issue yeah. is because that wasn't... No, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you then know, I, this, this is where racism yeah, yeah. comes well, from. Well, and I told him that and then he was like, oh, I guess I didn't really think about that. No, because uh, you don't really think about anything. You don't really think about anybody but your fucking friends. I know none of my friends give a fuck enough to listen to this podcast. If you get this far in, I'm going to be thoroughly impressed. But also, you were wrong and I was right. Yes. Mm. Yes. And we're going to add a segment where we all talk about our friends who don't listen to the 
<laughs> so we're gonna become John Lovett from Pod, Sa- Pod Save America. Is basically it. When he complains Sorry, about that how was Ronan really shady, but I felt like that's just like that was a very natural way of learning about this story. That was like cool. I'm inside a white dude's head now. Awesome. Yeah, but he took the time to message you. Oh about yeah, it. he was. So like, I oh, feel like cancel. it's yeah. all open. I'm like, yeah. I'd be like, don't you know I. I'm on a podcast and yeah. I might talk about this later. And it just goes to show how, again, black people are forced to to forgive. White people are not forced to reflect. Mm-hmm. And so I had a so I had a friend, too, who I spoke to on. Shout out to Peter. Um, who, hey, Peter. <laughs> I'll, I will be sending him this and I'll be like, look, we talked about you. <laughs> I will and not be sending this. I I, <laughs> I I I say this because these are not this didn't come from me. So I'm just attributing. Um Liam, so what he said was that I think Liam Neeson was trying to show how much in character he is. So like how how connected to his character he is. You know what I mean? By t- by recounting this story. So he's trying to do like basically three things. His whole thing is revenge movies, right? Mm-hmm. So the revenge movie, he's like, I'm so into my character because I live it in real life. Let me tell you this story. So then that, so that it's not acting, first of all. Whatever. Anyway. He's always method all the time. Always method. I am a method actor. You know, like I feel like and that's one. Number two, it's also a way to um, to to atone for his fuck up on me, too. Right. So remember, he had that thing about how he he's like, well, I think me, too, has gone too far. Yeah, it's a witch hunt. It's a witch shit. hunt. And, and he got dragged. Yeah. So there's that. So he's trying to show that he's sensitive mm-hmm. to to women who've been sexually and women in his life have been sexually assaulted right, because and he too has been so affected. It kept right. him up at night. That's yeah. right. That's exactly it. Yeah. And number three, it's like it's like I used to harbor thoughts that are that could be construed races. But look, I got over them and did better. Yay. And that is what we now are forced to decide whether or not it's forgivable. And if we don't forgive about if we as black people don't forgive it, then it's then the problem is canceled culture. It's not Mm -hmm. your fucking problem. Mm -hmm. And it is your fucking problem. Because can you imagine that he George Zimmerman his way Mm -hmm. to uh, to to uh, poor Trayvon Martin there? And put he trolled yeah, yeah, knowing yeah. black areas. Oh yeah, That's yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. It's like level. really fucked That's up. That's predatory yeah, yeah. shit. And the fact is, oh, it's so deliberate. And he even says, "I didn't care who if it was the guy, just a guy." Okay, so do you know? Like, do people know that that's how lynchings happened? That is mm. exactly a lynching. He just he just basically recounted Mississippi burning. Okay. Okay. And I'm supposed to Oh, well why can't we why can't we just stop punishing them? What? He hasn't learned fuck all. Yeah, and so what role does the internet play in all of this because you know in the instance of let's say 
uh, Ralph Northam, he is quote unquote trying to make amends with the community. He, an interview says that he's trying to read, he's reading Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, the case for reparations. He is going to like try to push forward equity policies for black people and marginalized communities. But can we ever really forgive if we can't ever forget because the internet won't let you? Uh, I don't think you need listen, to Listen, for- like I would just like to say that was a great Hills reference by me. <laughs> it was cool. Uh, I, I barely picked up on it. Oh, like, I think I've seen that on the, the internet before, but I don't know where wow. it came from. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's the thing. You, one, you don't need to forget to forgive. Uh, you need to remember to learn. So that's important. Um, but also, you know, I mean, the this whole idea of um, canceling people or people being accountable, like, you know, one, where was that accountability uh, a lot sooner? And like, why weren't you challenging yourself to be like better? Like in terms of Northam, I feel like he was sleeping on race equality until like this moment. Um, and I think in terms of Liam Neeson, like, again, to go back to the article, he just sort of ramblingly tells a story and the journalist covers her experience having like heard it and being shocked and then talks about the pains that they went through in the editing process to like get the story right or some shit but like she never really challenges his thinking in the interview right so she lets him go on and then he goes back and talks about revenge movies and she's like oh and then he just went back to telling me about revenge movies like you could have stopped and asked him like what how his views on race change or what his views on racial bias are or like challenge just thinking mm-hmm. do you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh but she doesn't because i don't think she really had the wherewithal to think about those things well, she, so she couldn't back. write about racial bias so no she couldn't write about racial bias clearly what happened is she went back to her editor and also this is someone who covers movies so like already like she just stumbled into a thing she had like no business well i mean someone who writes movies should know about race but clearly she didn't and she's just doing this press junket whatever like tour that liam neeson's on he tells her this weird I'm glad story you're bringing this up no I and then thoughts. she goes to talk to her editor and clearly they were like oh i guess this is salacious enough to cover but how will we cover it without us getting canceled maybe mm. we'll talk to experts on race and make it about race but like you didn't actually do your basic journalistic duty to challenge him in the moment he was talking about that story and that's because you're dumb and white mm. and like don't get it that's right. why it's important to have representation and diversity in newsrooms that's it i have an example of that fuckery okay so over the weekend um the star put out um uh some sort of maxime bernier thing and basically to say um the right the alt-right has infiltrated maxime bernier okay one of the authors of this now they they wrote this article without one word saying racism Okay, so which made me think that it was full of shit anyway. Um, Secondly, they portrayed it as though um, the the alt right like somehow wormed its way into Maxime Bernier's pure party. And I was just like, no, once you use certain language, you invite the alt right into your party. And third, one of the people writing the article is a guy who wrote in McLean's when blackface isn't blackface. So this is a guy who has decided that there are times when using blackface is okay. And you're getting 
him to write an article mm-hmm. about the alt-right without using the word racism, right? And and claim a fucking editorial journalistic um, win? Hmm. Fuck you, Toronto Star. Hmm. Because guess what? Didn't you just lay off a whole bunch of reporters of color? Yeah. Because they could have done that work. They could have done that job. And the whole, not the article said nothing about rebel media. Hmm. Nothing. That's so disgusting. So it, it is just, so when you talk about the journalists not having the wherewithal to talk about these issues i think that's where journalism is just failing i don't disagree with that but i think that it's probably more important to have editors of color than journalists of color at that point sure all because, of the above because all of the above because the, the journalists are doing are choose? writing what their editors want yeah. fair fair when you as the editor are choosing that kind of journalist to write your piece and you don't have any sort of mention. You just talk about the alt-right. You don't really talk about the racism inherent in the alt-right, mm-hmm. the xenophobia, mm-hmm. the Islamophobia. I feel like mm-hmm. you failed. Mm-hmm. You've just failed. Mm-hmm. And so I, I see this thing being, and this just angered me yesterday, and I have this whole Twitter thread about it. I was just like, oh my God, I was just so angry. I don't know. Certain things just set me off, and I never know what they're going to be. But I just like, really <laughs> you know? hate these questions about, the internet being like the source of like all these problems. Yeah. And of course it's always like traditional media posing the question yeah. uh, because it's great to deflect uh, attention away from like the fact that they're the problem. But like yeah. also the, to me, I'm like the only reason we have good journalism sometimes in some spaces is because the internet, mm-hmm. like the internet is where good criticism comes from. Mm-hmm. It's where honestly all the good public thinkers of the day are and like even if they're not even if it's not the thing that they do as a job there are like a lot of great public intellectuals that exist on the internet and sometimes solely on the internet and they push these conversations and they push them to the point that it makes it relevant for traditional media to then report on them and then of course they seal our tweets and pretend that's journalism and say here's the controversy here's a bunch of tweets we embedded in an article and you're like that's lazy but okay (laughs) and like that's like all the good opinion making and like uh, and also all the like you know, issue spotting or pointing out of like, you know, where critical thought needs to go begins on the Internet. And frankly, it ends on the Internet because whenever the traditional media gets involved, they're really just bastardizing it. But um, their, their reporting is basically the Internet. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I was just like. And then if they want to vary it, they just shit on the Internet. Yeah, you know, it's like it, it like the only reason we have these sort of intersectional conversations is because there are people actually doing that work Mm -hmm. sitting back reflecting reading doing all those things Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they're posting their thoughts on on twitter on instagram wherever okay and to me i think i will sit here and i think the internet has improved journalism fight me I think we're doing free labor for journalism and we're doing free labor for Twitter. Yeah. Which someone said to me the other day and like straight up blew my mind. But I was like, we're literally all Twitter is, is us doing free labor that makes Twitter relevant and they like profit off of it. Fair. Yeah. And then now so does, so does traditional media. They take, and sometimes without attribute, like proper attribution, 
they sometimes they don't even embed the tweets. Mm-hmm. They just like say people on the internet said X, Y, and Z, and then like they don't even attribute it. A controversy started online. I feel like they that repo- happened to me once. I feel like they report like, fuck on yourself. the internet. They report on the internet, and again, we're doing free labor to get them clicks, and then they like it's all, it's all nonsense. Yeah, and none of these people are being properly compensated. They're like academics or students yeah. or freelancers yeah. or activists, and like not getting paid. And we put countless hours into Twitter just so fucking Aunt Jack and like you know I don't know we're just running that trash bin the National Post make money. All right, well uh, that does it for this week in feminism. Stay tuned for rant and receipts. And now we're moving on to rant and receipts where we each bring a rant to share with the others. Well, I'm wound up, so I will start. <laughs> Great. So I would like to call this my segment. Yes, I am titling it Parliamenting While Black. That will be my segment. Mm. So earlier this week, a coalition. So as we know, like this was the first week of Black History Month. So on Sunday, you had the National Black Coalition, Black Canadian Summit. On Monday, you had the um, reception that um, the ministry, the Heritage Ministry, mm-hmm. the Minister of Heritage puts on every year. Um, and apparently on Thursday, I believe, it was Black Voices on the Hill. I didn't go on Thursday, but apparently I missed something. So um, a coalition of black human rights, labor and youth groups were discriminated against during a visit to Parliament Hill by 150 community members who attended attending the Black Voices on the Hill Day. The visitors were in Ottawa for a series of meetings with eight federal cabinet ministers when they were asked to wait in the parliamentary cafeteria. The group claims claimed a government employee complained to the Parliamentary Protective Service about the visitors, taking their picture and referring to them as, quote, dark-skinned people, unquote. A member of the PPS who responded to the employee's complaint used the term dark-skinned and told them to leave the cafeteria even though they had valid parliamentary passes that allowed them to be there. Now, the visitors are asking for a meeting with PM Justin Trudeau, during which they hope to ask for an end to racial profiling at the federal level. The group also wants to meet with the House of Commons Speaker Jeff Reagan to ensure to secure an official apology. So that's what happened. Now, um, I remember a while ago, I think it was last <laughs> February, actually, um, MP Selena um, basically said that uh, she was coming out of the bathroom and uh, there was a white woman who was using the bathroom facilities. This was on Parliament Hill and made some quip about, well, just don't steal my wallet, OK? <laughs> yeah. So this is not all I'm trying to say is that this is not an isolated incident. Uh, Black people have been telling you, you, the Canadian public, about microaggressions, about what it's like to be living while black. And um, 
we've been rebuffed at times. We've been ignored at times. We've been told that blackface isn't bad at certain times by 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 journalists. Um, a lot of what we have identified as our experience has been watered down to either being mistaken. So we apparently don't have our own agency to de- to to identify when racism happens. Apparently we need white people to tell us because they love sticking their nose in that. They love telling black people what is and isn't racist. This is my problem, amongst other things. But I will say this. Personally, I have gotten into arguments with PPS because they've treated me poorly too at times when I've been to events on the Hill. So I can tell you that this is not isolated. It is the way they operate. And my question is, what is the PM and what is the House of Commons Speaker going to fucking do about it? That's my question. Listen, the Prime Minister and Speaker Reagan should be embarrassed as fuck because, like, yes, this is a horrifying incident and it should never have happened, but what if these were representatives from another government? You know, the funny thing is, I think it's just as bad that they're citizens, but whatever. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, because like it would have been like that would have been w- it an international like, debacle incident. for yeah. sure. Yeah. So basically, if you don't rein these people in who are being overseen by the RCMP, by the way, shocking. Um, then you are putting yourself and this is just from a government point of view. I'm not even talking about the substantive, but you're you're really putting yourself at risk for an international diplomatic incident because you have a bunch of dudes from and I do mean dudes because I hardly see any women. Can I tell you a funny story about a Go PPS ahead. incident that I had? Uh, I was going through uh, security a few months ago, going to uh, something on the hill and uh, I had a button like, you know, like a campaign or political yes. button and uh, go through security. They, they're very vigilant around buttons and political statements now because they don't want like people showing up with a Greenpeace banner and like they ban like church that like political statements on them in the galleries. So they actually look at messaging. It's not that the pin is like something that could harm, but more so what does the message say? So why don't I just put the pin in my bag? Well, the pin was in my bag. They see it on the scanner. Oh, and I see. I see. The I detection see, yeah. specialist who is like a younger black woman looks at it, takes up the pin, rummages through the bag, finds it, and the pin says, hire more black women. It was like a pin my friend had made. I remember I gave you one <laughs> yes, for NDP did. conventions. Yeah. So I guess it was sitting in the bottom of my bag. And so she finds it and she looks at it. She's like, yeah, you can keep this. Oh, nice. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, man, she's probably she's like, I'm so sick of working with these white people. Yeah, that's her form of resistance. <laughs> she was like, you wear that. You go in there. Yeah, that is her resistance. So my second question or thought is, OK, so the story says government employee. It's not clear whether I, they're I a public service employee I or if they're a staffer. I understand it's a staffer. Another mm. another report said staffer. Mm. St- I didn't put in staffer. Mm. I forgot to put mm. in staffer, but I'd like to know who that motherfucker works for. Mm. And yeah. I have questions. I have a lot of questions. I have questions. Mm-hmm. And I feel like staffers, if you're listening to this. Because we, I met, we met a fucking lot of you the other night. We did meet a lot of you. I'm sure you're lovely people. Mm. Um, 
You seemed nice. You seem nice. But y'all need to rein in your people. Like, it's not okay that, you know, about the, like, little jokes in the cafeteria. It's not okay that this person is allowed to target black Mm -hmm. people and treat them like shit. Especially, especially, you know what the rub is? Happy Black History Month, motherfuckers. That's, that's basically it. I want to know who this staffer is. I want to know who the staffer works for. And if you want to talk cancel culture, you fucking cancel his ass. I give no fucks. Okay. I feel that there are a lot of staffers who do have a sense of elitism and entitlement that they walk around center block or they walk around the fucking anywhere in vicinity of the hill. You know, like not even, yeah, hill adjacent in just yeah. fucking offices. They and like they look at it's like, and some people are great, but it's like, who are you? You don't belong here. Like anyone who is an outsider is like stepping on their turf. Mm. Anyone who likes, you know, like anyone who's in a gallery or sitting around the table, even as a staffer, is like seen with this suspicion. Like people are constantly looking over their backs and they're very territorial. And it's honestly like the one of the most poisoned environments you can ever enter into. It is. I, I, and you, you bring racism and like the, the, that cult, like that element of like the fact that it's coming from a already predominantly white, like elitist culture. Like you can, it, I'm not surprised that you have people who may be not the necessarily the norm, but in, at least enabled by that culture to say shit like that. Right. How many staffers of color do you know or have you met? Because all I know is that on Wednesday when we ran into that liberal party, like we weren't invited. I just don't want. We ran into them. Like we literally like we're at another event that where they were. And then I found out it was like a liberal bar. And I'm like, God, my God. Anyway. But now I'm curious and I want to go back. (laughs) We'll we'll try to go incognito. Going to go do some recon. Yes. Yes. Um, well, you just blew our cover. Yeah, true. <laughs> Listen, as long as we keep Erica's tone of voice like quite low, <laughs> we can hide. Are you kidding? I can't be on the bus. People will recognize my voice. You guys got to go and come back and tell me because they'll be like, I think Erica's there. <laughs> <laughs> I, when, I met, when I met them, I saw zero staffers of color. Zero. Yeah. It's very white. It is very privileged. It's very young. And if you think that the younger generation is going to save us, think again. Because they're th- apparently they're just as racist. All right. So I want to talk about a study released by the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives, or sorry, a report that says the cost of infant care in Toronto is nearly 10 times out of Montreal and that costs have risen faster than inflation in 61% of cities in Canada since 2017. Are you following like some survey slash study like feed? No, I feel like- this this one I saw from Elamine. So shout out Elamine. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> but the median monthly cost of infant childcare in Toronto is versus $175 in Montreal, making those the two cities that are the most and least expensive in Canada, which is astounding to me. And so we've got uh, many other provinces who are trying to um, institute regulated health uh, child care costs. 
Um, but yeah, Toronto is the most expensive. Montreal's the least expensive. Vancouver, second highest. Ottawa shockingly came around the middle of the pack, um, given the number of friends that I have who are seeking childcare or have sought childcare recently. Um, I'm surprised to hear that, but, uh, how much is childcare in Ottawa about? Uh, it's about, uh, about, but looks like nine fifty, close to a thousand dollars per per child, per child. And that's middle of the pack. I just middle want, of the pack. I yeah. just want to give people some perspective yeah. about what the cost is. Yeah. Um, so three provinces introduced measures to lower child care costs in 2018, Newfoundland, Alberta, and BC. Um, Alberta has piloted a new $25 per day system in Calgary and Edmonton. Um, Newfoundland is expecting is the first furthest along in its implementation in BC. Um, their initiatives are not reflected in the data in the report just because they were just kind of getting away during the survey period. Um, but basically, like, these numbers were astounding to me. And I just go on to think of the housing costs in cities like Toronto and Vancouver and how, and I guess in Ottawa, Ottawa is it's getting increasingly more expensive to live. Like, rent, I'm looking to see maybe if I can move. And rental costs, since I moved here six years ago, have risen almost double like i live in a bachelor and i pay less than a thousand dollars and to get a bachelor now it's like thirteen fourteen hundred dollars i'm like you're shitting are you me. fucking kidding me yeah. wow yeah without if to live downtown so i don't have to take the bus anywhere i can just kind of live basically the same life just live in a bigger place and i want to live in a one bedroom because mm-hmm. i want to be a little bit more of an adult yeah have a little bit more space um so how much is a one bedroom like fifteen hundred they st- like it's hard to find something for twelve hundred dollars. You're looking at least fourteen hundred dollars. Fuck. Yeah. So like that's a big chunk into like expenses. That's an extra five hundred dollars, and my rent right now includes all of my utilities. Right. But so then some places don't include utilities, and so then it's like okay, cool. I'm looking at like sixteen, seventeen hundred dollars. And let's say you're lucky enough to buy. Sure. And when I say lucky, I mean you're lucky to be in the financial position where you can buy a home in Ottawa. I mean, that is exorbitant too. Yeah. So imagine if I was a single parent. Oh, honey. And I would have to get into a bare place because my place wouldn't be big enough for myself and a, an infant, a baby, a toddler of any age. Okay, so cool. Um, and because I have no family here, that means I would have to get childcare. Mm-hmm. So I have to move. I have to find childcare. So immediately I'm at $2,500 a month. And they're wondering why women aren't having babies. They wonder why women, women aren't having babies. They wonder why, you know, women aren't working or where people aren't buying property at the same rate or whatever. And so many people are renting and that it's hard to find a place because rents are so high and the demand and everything. And so it's, it's just such a problem across the country and we need to continue pushing for policies that are progressive that and lower child privileged. Care. Yeah, I have a government job. Yeah. So like we are the privileged. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And there are people who are working minimum wage jobs. I don't know how I yeah, okay. 
Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. So then the this the, the article I'm looking at, you know, talks about a, a couple, and they pay um, they pay fourteen hundred dollars each month each month for their three year old son's daycare. They've put off major purpose purchases like renovations, replacing an aging car, um, and then when they are asked what they would do to if they had if they paid less for childcare. They were like, oh, well, we'd put it towards our ridiculously high mortgage just yeah. to get it down. Yeah. Other people are like, oh, I would just love to save for a vacation or contribute to the future of my children through RESPs. And like, so because people are saving less money, there's less money being saved for the education of children, which is we, the government will match the money up to a certain amount which is basically free money. But if parents can't get them, don't have the funds to put in there, then the kids are going to have to go down the road on student loans, on grants, on bursaries and that type of thing. And they just, it, there's just not going to be enough. So we need to focus on progressive policies like childcare across the country and continue pushing for that. Well, I, <laughs> I just want to stop the knee jerk reaction, which is to blame parents. Well, they're not yep. managing their money properly. I mean, that's the excuse they gave for the Irish potato famine. So I'm not sure that that's going to fly. I'm just saying that it's not a new excuse. And um, the the need, I, d- I really don't know how parents are doing it. And no wonder you like people are waiting for longer to have children if they have children. And when you wait, usually when you wait till longer, you have fewer children. So shout out parents. So I'm feeling your pain. You're crushing it. Yeah. Um, all you have to do is like not raise an asshole and I'll be okay. Like I feel like that's their job. Don't raise an asshole. That's all. You know, there's there's like a lot in between that. So I feel like there's a lot of choice. Mm. Okay. Anyway, all this to say that, um, yeah, I think I, I'm not sure going back to the policy prescriptives what is the source of the issue is there a lack of spaces is there There is a a lack of spaces so some people are putting their kids Mm -hmm. on wait lists Mm -hmm. for daycares before they've even told family members like because the waits are just so long so why is there a lack of spaces that's my question is it the process of getting accredited or the government recognizing you or like, why is there that? I think it's probably multifaceted. I think it's one an accreditation thing. I think that there probably aren't enough people who are early childhood educators mm-hmm. um, because early childhood educators don't make a lot of money. Well, then that's an issue. You know, I, I just don't want to get into the point where we're like, you can only charge so much for a daycare space and then sure there's definitely there's it's a definitely like a multifaceted issue yeah, for and, sure and and then what happens is then why would you go into being a daycare provider mm-hmm. and you know where so and it doesn't actually treat the problem so i guess that's what i'm saying i feel like there needs to be i think in general we just need to have a larger conversation about family and women at work And in terms of like a conversation that we as a society never had. 
And it doesn't have to do with whether women stay at home or they work. That's not the conversation I want to have because I think that's a moot conversation to get a bunch of MRAs into into your shit and talking shit. That's not the conversation. The conversation is how do we, number one, um, deal with the distribution of labor? Because obviously, number one, men would have to step up. That's number one. So there's that. Uh, number two, I, I feel like there has to be a conversation around, okay, so we're, we're dividing this labor this way or whatever. So what, what is it that we're missing to fill in the gaps and why? And I feel like managing that. I feel like that's not a question that policymakers are asking, but I could be wrong. Cause and, very- if they, and if they are, let me know because I would love to learn more about it, but I don't see that in my timeline but of course on the on the other hand we have a doug ford government that removed like funding for autism listen and autistic children so there's that too if you want that kind of policy you kind of have to vote for people who will implement that policy cool so i wanted to uh just sort of reflect now that uh OC Transpo Week or whatever it's called, Free Transit Week. What what's it it's called? It's not clear the Transpo to me. Challenge. It's not clear what it's called because many different people use many different yeah. hashtags I think it's and call the it different Ottawa things. Transit Challenge. Sure. But it, you know, we are having a conversation in Ottawa around uh, transit and the use of it. Um, there's a you know transit coalition of of citizens who have like put to city councillors the opportunity to take the bus which is very revolutionary and practically unheard of if you're someone who has been elected to council that you would use the transit system that you fund and oversee uh to try it out for a week see how they like it see if they got issues and sort of check back um i'm totally downplaying it but i'm just i'm just trying to you know like tease out sort of like the tone that this is all taken over the week because I think people have been very uh it's been it's been a conversation about how we have this conversation I think that's worthwhile um to have I think for uh my point you know that I wanted to raise is sort of this question of like how do we best engage decision makers in sort of challenging their thinking about um some of the things that they they are doing if they don't have that experience and so like the the challenge which is like posed like first of all like i think it's pretty much free transit for these city councilors to like hop on and hop off the bus for a week which i think is a bit strange but fine uh to kind of test test it out go through their day and see if you know and see how they uh experience transit and it's supposed i guess it's supposed to highlight some of the challenges people have what i find and i'm not not at all dismissing the organization of it and the people behind it I think it's really important. I'm for free transit. I think that would be great. But I also just kind of peeve that we're in this political culture that requires people to have to like literally put themselves in their like constituents' shoes in order to like experience what is like a very run of the mill experience. Uh, and then in order to base policy off of it instead of, oh, I don't know, like listening to citizens. And what I find uh, frustrating about that is like I think it just really underscores how like desperate the position of like city councillors are from the people they represent like they were coming from backgrounds and like places of privilege and a lot parts not all of them some of them historically have taken transit or like walk or bike or whatever which is all great but someone referred to that as multimodal this week oh cool i'm that sweet 
something else that I am uh, part of my identity now. Um, but no, you know, that's cool, too. But I guess what I find, uh, yeah, what I find frustrating is that we don't have representatives that are one close to the citizenry. And we're also trying to, like, get people to extrapolate from, like, a very, like, you know, restri- like, limited experience all sorts of other things you know i saw ctv was like taking a poll of how many people in ottawa take oc transpo and i feel like that like really missed the point because the point isn't the point about public transit is not that everyone should use it if you can and frankly like everyone should in a like ideal world no one would have cars that's not the world we live in OC Transpo and all public transit is meant to equalize our ability to like get to and from places and like make it easier for people who otherwise couldn't like, you know, drive or get to places or walk or whatever, get there. That's why we have paratranspo. That's why we have accessible buses. It's like literally made to be accessible transit for everyone and not based on the number. Like, you know, it doesn't matter how many people take OC Transpo for us to care about OC Transpo. If the only people who if like you know, people who take OC Transpo, you know, are folks with mobility, uh, like, you know, I shouldn't say issues, but like different mobility needs or like low income folks who couldn't otherwise afford to get places. Like if that's all who takes OC Transpo, like that would be okay too. Ideally, everyone should take OC Transpo, but like if it's not, then that's fine. So I feel like this question of how many people take it is bullshit. The question of how people who are able-bodied city councilors who are there just for like a jaunt on the bus to experience it, experience it, I really don't give a fuck. You're not doing anything on the bus. You're not trying to get to a, like maybe you're trying to get to a council meeting, but like I feel like it's a limited experience. You're not a shift worker trying to get to a shift on time. You're not running errands. You don't have mobility issues, but you know, you're not someone with you're, you're just like the only real inconvenience that city councilors have is that they're on the bus wishing that they were in their car. Like that's the only like, you know, note of empathy that they're like getting from is like rel- like leaning on that feeling, the sense that they're being inconvenienced, which is not really the same as the struggle of the everyday citizen who like if they miss their shift or a live light, they're being reprimanded or they could injure themselves because the roads are paved or the bus doesn't like lower properly or the bus driver like doesn't, you know, accommodate their needs in the right way or like shit like that it is not at all the same thing. And it just frustrates me that folks need this like false idea of, you know, trying out what is like a very basic public good to feel like to get to a bare minimum of empathy to even have a conversation about OC transport, which we should be having anyway. Uh, I don't know if that was coherent at all, but do, I just think it's do, all dumb. Do these counselors know who they're um, accountable to? Because yeah. that seems like an issue. Like yeah. they don't know who they're accountable to. Then they try to... The people who make the OC Transpo. They're accountable to the developers. Is that mm-hmm. is that not the right answer? <laughs> Did I get it I wrong? Mean, <laughs> I mean, you're technically correct, but they would say otherwise. Yeah, I mean, but that's who they seem to. I mean, I don't think Jim Watson definitely did not do the challenge. No, and his his logic, he he did take the bus at least one day. I saw this on Twitter, Um, but his logic was, well, I'm my schedule demands me to. To, to go to fucking ribbon cuttings and like all these things. Cool. My schedule demands me to go all sorts of places so across is, town. Why is his schedule more fucking important? 
at the end of the day, I think that if your schedule is to feed your fucking family, then that makes you fucking more important. I'm so tired of yeah. this Jim Watson bullshit. I'm just no, it was angry. like a really okay. ignorant defense of not. I doing am it. just fucking angry about OC Transpo because I take OC Transpo. And here's the thing. Number one, I um was it Sean Menard who had the yep. the op ed in the mm-hmm. in the Ottawa Citizen. People are like, oh, why is it a why? he was talking about safety mm-hmm. on trans and people are like, oh, then why is it a gendered issue? Why is safety a thing? And I'm just like, are you fucking stupid? Like, I I just we have multiple issues with OC transfer. Number one, they don't show up. And when they do, it's not on time. And then the astronomical rate of OC Transpo is disgusting, given the level of service. Number four, there's no fucking accountability for OC Transpo. Number five, how is the mayor getting away with this fuck up? This is a huge problem. Listen. This is what I... Where is the accountability? Listen. And how the hell can counselors just decide, nah, I'm not doing it? Screw you people. I'm not doing it. How is that okay? Like, I personally don't understand. I see what you're saying, but it seems like to get these counselors into the realm of accountability, and I granted, hashtag not all counselors, okay? The majority of counselors did participate. Yes, not all counselors, but I'm talking about the ones who did. I will say this. Carol Meehan, I believe, took the challenge. Um, I saw her video. Uh, good on you for recognizing that this is an issue. What are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. I have this thing. You can sit there and say, well, I don't like this challenge. Well, I don't like this challenge. Fine. You don't like the fucking challenge? That's fine. What are you going to do about it? Because I think it's been established that this is a huge problem. What are you? What action is going to be taken? That's what I want to know. Yeah, so... I definitely take all your points, Amy. I think that you raise a lot of good points and issues and concerns about the like purpose of the challenge and like ultimately like it doesn't change the lives of these counselors and like they're not getting the real experience and they're not suffering real consequences. I mean, I guess my issue is not the like is not the challenge per se. Sure, it's like what we demand of like people in power and our representatives. Yes. you know, and what they demand of themselves and like who, and again, about accountability. Yep. Yep. That's exactly it. And I think that, you know, recognizing that the majority of counselors did participate, but that, you know, the mayor, the leader of the Mm -hmm. city Mm -hmm. chose not to. The person who's bungled the like, (laughs) you know, the man messed up the entire transit system. The man who is the biggest PR person wants to make sure that he is seen doing all of these things that make him look good, chose not to do this thing that would have made him look very good. Mm -hmm. Even if he just took the bus to and from work every day, Mm -hmm fine and then you know got driven around between all of his events and had to take the bus home from his last event fine you know what that's a much more realistic or at least attempt than being like well i'm just too busy i'm just too important which is kind of elitist and like well no like 
we want you to experience because like Jim Watson pretends he has empathy for people, but he actually doesn't. He doesn't show up for women. He doesn't show up to any women's events. No, I mean, he cuts the ribbon on the LRT. He's going to say he's the principal architect behind it, except for the fact that he made us suffer for years. And it would have been put through anyway, regardless of who was mayor. With terrible detours and terrible conditions and missed buses. And restricted bus services. Restricted bus services, cut down lines, and a complete lack of predictability. And then, like, the... like system has never been more precarious than it has been in these years while we were waiting for the LRT to be like finally open uh, and throwing mon- like money away, yep. essentially, just to not penalize the people behind it. Yep. And I think that the point you make about, you know, like having counselors just like listen to people who take transit instead of in lieu of participating in the challenge is an excellent point. Yeah. And listen to people with disabilities. And Absolutely. People with, like... But the fact is, like, a lot of these people, particularly who didn't participate in the challenge, don't ever really seem to have empathy. And I think that they only have empathy for their key constituency. So Jim Watson's key constituency is developers, developers, it's people in the suburbs and the rural areas, and it's seniors. But let me say this. There are working class people in the suburbs who take fucking OC Traspo. I guess they don't vote for Jim Watson, so that's why he doesn't care. It's not a regional thing. It is a class thing. And that's what I I mean about the numbers. It doesn't matter if only 10% of people in Ottawa take OC Transpo. what a dumb question because, like, OC Transpo puts out the statistics. So, like, just look at their... They don't need to take a poll. Also, like, it's also classes to put out that poll because, like, people who are poor aren't going to be reading your website and taking participating in your your poll. common sense don't read ctv polls like me and i take OC i hate Transpo. their website in general it's so busy that i get i feel like i'm gonna get a seizure if i go on it so i'm never gonna take a cb so ball. one of the rural counselors scott moffat and i got into him back and forth on twitter about this and like he was like <laughs> well you're not taking the concerns of the rural people into account and i was like okay no i am like i think that you know rural people should also have access to trans uh, to transit I and didn't that understand that I didn't understand his argument like I think he just doesn't know that the bus actually does go that far. but he was just like well people out here don't use it so we don't need to like participate in this like no but like the question is not whether they do or do not the question is would they if the service a, was better or or in the correct do use it is are the they, service adequate that's, that's a you know what that's a dangerous line of reasoning so wait a minute okay so because I don't have children I shouldn't be paying into education because that's basically what he's saying. Yeah. So maybe I should line item everything I should be interested in and only pay taxes for that. So then he... Their tax dollars are going to it. What the fuck is he saying? Listen. And then he invited me to come out to his rural ward office so that we can wait for the bus together, I guess, presumably on the side of a rural that road. That was creepy. Um, so one, he was passive aggressive. Two, he invited me to like a rural road to wait with him a man that i don't dark a man that i don't know in winter in which case it's dark for most of the time so oh that sounds very safe for me um not recognizing that trans it is a gender issue so i'm not gonna go meet with a stranger and then wait with you at a bus stop uh where there's probably not much you know in terms of traffic and people around but then when someone, people were calling him out and being like, that's a little creepy. He, he says, oh, I'm really disappointed that you look at my response that way. If it was between me and a guy, you wouldn't suggest that. It's a debate, debate between adults and it's an invitation to understand rural, rural transit realities. 
The real transit realities is that women don't feel safe on the fucking transit. And then you're going to go and invite a woman to an unsafe area that she doesn't know why because it's you. I don't also like, the fact that he can't be bothered to take the challenge without having a woman do the emotional labor of like attending and watching through it and like having to like handhold him essentially so he can experience the fucking bus like and she must go from downtown all the way to buck fuck nowhere so how am i gonna get out there how the fuck am i gonna getting out there am i gonna pay an uber to take me out there please drop me out of the side of the road like so she has to incur other costs so that well you don't need to uber yeah i mean according to him there's the buses don't even go there which is ignorant because they definitely do. <laughs> they definitely do. The buses run all over the city. And if they don't run in rural areas, you might want to ask why they don't. And if there are people who are being underserved because they can't take the bus and therefore they're shut into their homes because there's no way for them to leave without or that they're incurring unnecessary like costs for cars from their like already meager paychecks. Like, we don't give a fuck about you, Scott Moffat, who has a car and can drive around and has the conveniences. We're talking about all the people who other who need a transit system to make up the gap that they don't like that they can't. Yeah. So if he he can't see it from his perspective, it doesn't happen. Is that it? Cause I would be like, then why are you representing other people? Why are you in city council? If that's the way you look at policy. So, so wait a minute. If I have a policy having to do with, let's say I want to stock tampons in every city place, a city bathroom, Okay, then because he doesn't have a period, he can't see it. Listen, women who have who have gone through menopause, they don't need tampons. So fucking keep it. (laughs) Also, you're a city councilor voting on behalf of the entire city, not on your base, on your ward. So go fuck yourself. Also, a number of the the councilors who didn't participate are on the planning and transportation committees or transit commissions. Oh, for sure. Oh, my God. And our buddies with Jim Watson. Absolutely. 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 No, I mean, the that whole- Jim Watson placed on that committee, by the way. Mm. There's a lot of graft mm. at City Hall. It's all very dubious. It the is. Point, the point is, you know, I think the tra- challenge is has value in terms of like calling like talking to counselors and raising the issue. And I hope it raised a lot of important conversations. I hope the counselors who participated in it, do something about what they saw and what they heard. But like, you know, that's not necessarily enough. And I would rather that we elect people who actually stood for these values than people who after the fact have to like feign compassion or empathy to like finally understand and have their like eyes opened to the you know certain like to segments of the community mm-hmm. that they never thought of maybe you should have thought of that before you fucking ran mm-hmm. most people who run or maybe we should be better about electing people who actually have lived experience or use public goods we only elect people who are rich enough to get elected or take time off work and run a campaign and therefore we ignore people who actually use the services that these people end up voting on that pisses me off and please don't invite me to your sleep on a park bench challenge because those are also dumb i will end with this um speaking of city council in ottawa a fish rots from the head oh can we do a mic drop sound (laughs) anyway that does it for this week we'll be back again next week i think maybe yeah yeah we're back next week i guess we'll decide later twist our (laughs) arms 
You can get social with us on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy, on Instagram at Bad and Bitchy Pod, Facebook slash Bad and B Podcast. Email us. Send us your misogynist of the week, Bad and B Pod at gmail.com. Bye. 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 Bye.